this again. All right. So you're basically asking a question about how to determine what what's a good wholesome thought and what's not a good wholesome thought. Yes. So the first thing that we can talk about that is is that wholesome thoughts are like the truth in the sense that the truth is actually small and the number of lies are actually quite large and unwholesome thoughts are all over the place many different thousands of kinds of unwholesome thoughts but the kind of thoughts that are wholesome are relatively small mm-hmm. another way of looking at it is is that um a while now is always right now it goes in very short increments of one moment after the next after the next and so this moment actually is quite small compared to, for instance, how big the entire past is. Yes. So this one particular breath is quite small compared to all the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of breaths you've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you're beginning to understand, okay, that the, the whole quality then of the wholesome is very small and the quality of the unwholesome is very vast, very big. One example that I generally use is the example of how old are you? If you tell me the truth, you only have one answer, how many years old. But if you lie to me, there's no end to how many different lies you can have. I'm four years old. I'm 40 years old. I'm 900 years old. I'm 400 years old. I'm 4,000 years old. There's no end to the number of lies that we can tell. Right? There's also no end to the way that we can hurt ourselves or to hurt other people. But there's only a few ways that we can nourish them. Okay. Uh, An example is, is that you've got your grandmother and her birthday is coming up and you want to do something really good for her. And so you scratch your head and you think about what can I do for grandma that she would really like? Something that would be really wholesome for her. But let us say in another occasion or maybe another uh, person in your family really hated grandma and he wants to hurt her. There is no end to the ways that he can hurt her. The whole tool shed is full of tools that he can use. I mean, you've got hammers and saws and, and pickaxes and shovels and rakes and there's just no end to the damage that we can do. But the actual building of something takes more yes okay so this is a way of looking at it that it's a whole lot easier to destroy something than it is to create it it's a whole lot easier to tell a lie than it is to tell the truth and it's a whole lot easier to find something unwholesome and we're very good at finding unwholesome things now it's time to find something that's wholesome so this is the first quality is is that what we're looking for is not Uh, the predominant thing that we're going to find, that normally what we're going to find will be unwholesome. But the student may not know that, that in fact what makes it unwholesome is the fact that it's possibly dangerous, laden with dissatisfaction or whatnot. And so this is part of the waking up process for the student is to wake up to see the danger 
because once we see the danger, only then can we have the escape. Now, it is possible for people to uh, be told that it's dangerous and that they should not do it. And in that case, it could even be formalized like renunciation or taking vows or something. But we could, we're doing it because we thought that it was a good idea or because we thought we'll get some value out of it. But that's going to cause ill will and confusion and doubt and uncertainty because we want something and then we won't let ourselves have it. And so we want something, but we renounce it, and so we won't let ourselves have it. That's a completely different thing than us being able to actually see the danger in it. Once we see the danger, now we'll find an escape. And we don't have to do it formalized. An example of that would like being on a diet. That someone can be on a formal diet in the sense that they tell everybody and they're planning and they're scheduling and they're reading books and all of that kind of stuff. But that's the kind of diet that normally fails. The kind of diet that succeeds is the kind of diet that when the guy sees a donut, he sees, that's dangerous. I'm not going to eat that. And when we begin to see the dangerous and, and the unwholesomeness in that particular kind of food, that junk food, that extra sweet stuff, now it can be avoided only because we see the danger in it. Mm -hmm. So this is our job together is for me to point out things for you to look at and to see rather than me giving you a list of rules about what's wholesome and what's not wholesome. You're going to have to figure this out for yourself because if you do it because I give you to it as a rule, it's going to cause suffering. But if you see it for yourself, then you will avoid it wholesomely. Mm -hmm. Okay? Does this make sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay. That's why what is wholesome and what is not wholesome or what is dukkha and not dukkha is a difficult question to answer. Because if I answered it too easily for you, I'm going to cause you trouble. I've got to get it to where you can figure out it for yourself. And so this is why we begin to investigate. But we can also uh, easily begin to investigate in the sense of seeing that if it's happening right now, then it's much more likely to be wholesome, that we will use the word this, this present moment, this breath, this thought, this feeling, this place, this time. So we're looking at a lot of this, 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 this. If we have thoughts about someplace else over there, that, or we think about things that happened in the past, then those things are more likely to cause us suffering and danger. For instance, we can think of that that happened then was dangerous. And if we think about it, we'll feel the sense of danger now when, in fact, it's not dangerous now. Being in the here now is not dangerous because, after all, there's no alligators on the floor. You don't have a snake behind you. You don't have the police breaking in your house. You're relatively safe in this present moment. But your past is full of all kinds of dangers. Every kind of danger you've ever seen in your life is still there in the past for you to go back and, and look into and begin to feel afraid again. So staying in this present moment 
is much more healthy and wholesome than dealing with the past. And not only that, but something we find in the past is likely to say, oh, that needs to be fixed or I've got work to do. An example of that is, is that you would not ever give yourself the idea of, oh, I've got to go to work in 45 minutes if you hadn't already been going to work. Right? Even if this was the first day on your job, I've got to go to this new job in 45 minutes, was only because you've already had an interview and accepted the job in the past. Mm -hmm. So your going to work is based upon the past, even though it's in the future. So this is how we can see that the future and the past are deeply tied together. Both of them are, are uh, fanciful. Both of them don't exist. What exists is happening right now. And what is real is wholesome. And what is not real is not wholesome. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. So now you're beginning to see this is the way that I can look at it. I can look at things in the sense of what's wholesome and what's not wholesome by looking at what's happening. What's happening right now. This is the way to look. Another way of looking at wholesome would be, uh, first off, let's define what we mean by the word truth. There is ordinary truth, and uh, there is more noble truth. And what I mean by an ordinary truth would be like the truck is out in the yard. That would be an ordinary truth because sometimes a truck is not in the yard. Okay. But the Four Noble Truths, the Noble Truth of Dukkha, there is Dukkha. It does exist. Wake up and look for it. Here's the cause of it. This is what it's like to be free of it. So, in fact, the Four Noble Truths and the teaching of the Dhamma, the Dhamma is actually wholesome. It's wholesome because it's true, and it's true right now, the way that it was true 2,500 years ago, and it'll be true 2,500 years from now. That's what makes it noble, and that's what makes it wholesome, is because it's always true. The truck is not always in the yard, so it's not. A, so right now, the truck is in the yard is merely a fact. It's not a truth. So, now we know that if we could deal with real noble truths, things that are always true, then there will be wholesome. So having thoughts of the Dhamma, would be wholesome thoughts. Now, mostly when people go to sit down in meditation, they go with an ordinary mind, or they go with the mind that they had all day, rather than getting their mind prepared for meditation. So we sit down in meditation already with the mind filled with unwholesome thoughts. And so we have to start eliminating those unwholesome thoughts by putting wholesome thoughts in. And from the get-go, it's a lot of work. This is why, in fact, uh, at Watts and temples, you'll find monks that are doing chanting followed by meditation. Why do they do the chanting? It's because they're chanting the Dhamma. They're chanting wholesome stuff. And the ones who really know what they're, they're chanting, they know the Pali well enough that they're actually putting and focusing their mind not just on the syllables and the sounds of the words, but the wholesome meanings of those words. And for that reason, now the meditation is going to be a lot more successful 
that we can get ourselves in really beautiful state in about 20 minutes or less because we're starting from a wholesome base. Okay, so this is one way of looking at it is, is that if we get prepared by having wholesome thoughts, then putting more wholesome thoughts in would be easy to do. But if we start with a mind that is full of unwholesome thoughts, then it'll be more difficult to chase those wholesome thoughts back out and replace them with wholesome thoughts. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, okay? So that means that we can do some things to prepare for meditation. But in fact, all of the ritualized stuff that's done around preparing for meditation is actually just a series of wholesome things. An example of that would be lighting some incense, lighting the candle, uh, bowing and doing the triple gem to the Buddha, and doing what we would seemingly innocuous ceremonies are actually putting the mind in fairly wholesome states, if that's the intention. If you know what you're doing, and that's the intention that you can put your mind in wholesome states before you start to practice. But most people don't think about it, and because they don't think about it, they sit down trying to practice the meditation with a mind already filled with unwholesome thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's look at it from the perspective of um, going back, I think we talked about the cow herd mm-hmm. that is whacking the cows to keep them out of danger. Okay. So as you begin to see what danger there are in thoughts of the past, then you begin to be on guard and, and monitor. So when thoughts of the past come up, you can say, hey, I don't have to think about that. That's in the past. That's gone. That's not who I am. Now, mostly what will happen when people have thoughts of the past, they have the thoughts of the past of this is me doing this. This is who I was in the past. Or thoughts of the future. This is who I will be in the future. Or this will happen. Okay? And so, because of that attachment to my past, that means that anything that we remember is subject to bringing up bad feelings. For instance, if we, if we remember something that bad happened in the past, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I hurt someone. Maybe I said something that I shouldn't have said. Now, in this present moment, I'm not that person anymore. That uh, the self changes, changes quite quickly. There's no deeply embedded self. But when I have a thought of the past, I will reminisce about that point of my uh, shortcoming, my failure. And so guilt and remorse will arise because of my own attachment to my own past. That was me that screwed up, right? But when we recognize, wait a minute, that's just in the past. That's not me. I'm not that person anymore. That, in fact, I feel guilty about it now because I would uh, not want to be doing it right now. I did it in the past, but that's not me. And so we can begin to see that uh, the past needs to be avoided because it is, in fact, a very dangerous place. Why? Because that means that we will bring up and feel bad the way that we uh, felt bad in the past. Now is the time in this present moment to feel really good. 
So now is the time we're going to have some very wholesome thoughts about this present moment. One wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thoughts like, oh, wow, this is so nice. Even thoughts about, oh, I don't even have to think about that anymore. Thoughts about something that I've got to do in the future. And I say, I don't have to do that right now. I don't have to do that. Right now, I can sit and relax. Right now, everything is okay. And so we're, we begin to have a very few small group of very wholesome thoughts that we begin to collect for ourselves. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful moment. Wow, everything's going well. Everything feels good. These are the kind of wholesome thoughts that will bring us into a state of satisfaction. We'll begin to feel satisfied because we think satisfied. So the kinds of things that satisfy you, the kinds of things that you like, that you already have in this present moment, are different than the things, the things that you like, but you don't have right here in this present moment. For instance, the thought of ice cream. Oh, I like ice cream. But I don't have any ice cream right here. If I don't have any ice cream right here, why should I be thinking about ice cream? What that will do is make me want ice cream. Ice cream I don't have. So now I'm going to get out of my meditation. I'm going to go to the refrigerator and get ice cream. Why? Because I'm not satisfied with sitting on the floor thinking about ice cream. Now I got to have it. So you see all of that disturbing kind of unwholesome thinking going on. But if I have the thought of ice cream and say, wait a minute, I don't need that right now. I'm already okay right now. Now I'm returning back to the wholesome. Okay. Okay. So anything that you want that you don't have is not wholesome. It will take you into a state of deprivation and a state like needing ice cream. I feel okay now, but I would feel a whole lot better if I had that sweet, cold taste of ice cream on my tongue. Right? This is how we think, is, is that I'm not good enough right now. I need something. But we need to get wholesome thinking going, which means that already you've got everything you need. This present moment is good enough. And by having those kind of wholesome thoughts, we begin to feel that way. If we can, we can actually literally talk ourselves into feeling good. And we have been spending all of our lives literally talking ourselves into feeling bad. Why? Thoughts of I want this. Thoughts of I don't like that. Thoughts of critical things. Being critical. You see, uh, our civilization was built because of critical thinking. In the sense of, oh, this house is okay. But I could build a bigger house. I could get a better house. Why should we have a village here when we can build a city? All right? That's why there are cities proliferated all over the place is because we have these critical thoughts. The problem is, is that we continue to think critically when there's nothing critical to be done. Which means now we turn our critical thoughts on 
to the inside and we start becoming critical of ourselves. This is where those thoughts of the past and the future come from, is critical mindedness or a critical frame of reference or a critical mindset or a state of mind is critical. And so we need to change that critical state of mind into a nurturing mind. Rather than this is good, this is bad, I like this, I don't like that, this is uh, needs to be redone, that job needs to be done over again, I got a plan to do this, I got a plan to do that. This is all unwholesome, critical thinking. But we can change that into the thinking of, this is nice, I've got everything I need. This is nurturing, everything is okay, everything is fine. There is nothing to be dangerous. I can look around, no dangers, no problems, no worries. I don't want anything. And that we get then that gets us into that state of wholesome thought, one after another, and it begins to let us feel really good. We can begin to develop that sukha. We can begin to develop that rapture. Uh, in this case I would use the word euphoria then it really, really feels good. And we know we can do this. It feels successful. So going back over the Eightfold and Noble Path again, one's right view needs to be developed as a skill. And that means to investigate so that we can begin to discern what is wholesome, what is not wholesome, what is dukkha, what is not dukkha. And we've developed that skill only when we remember to develop that skill. And that comes in the skill of sati, to remember, to remember, to remember, to remember. This is why we practice anapanasati, is because we want to actually remember every in-breath and to remember every out-breath. That we mindfully breathe in long and we mindfully breathe out long. Why? Because this long, deep breathing is actually very beneficial for the body. It's very wholesome, as opposed to shallow breathing. Because shallow breathing is like uh, uh, not getting enough air. We actually want to energize the body, to energize the brain, to energize the whole system, and also to purify it by breathing out and eliminating the carbon dioxide and the acids that are accumulating in the blood. So this is why we do the wholesome deep in-breath and wholesome deep out-breath, and we still have plenty of time on a long in-breath and on a long out-breath to also to gladden the mind. So actually thinking about the breath is wholesome. We're beginning to talk to ourselves about the breathing that we're doing right now. As I breathe in long, I breathe in joy. As I breathe out long, I relax. So this is a way of talking, breathing in joy and breathing out and relax. Another way of talking about it is, as I breathe in, I notice what the body is doing. I can feel the rise and the fall of the chest. I can experience the body as it's moving in this present moment that we can actually experience being alive, being marvelously tingly alive. Everything is really nice. Things become bright looking when we talk ourselves into feeling good. And so wholesome thoughts would be to talk ourselves into feeling good 
and unwholesome thoughts would be talking ourselves into feeling bad. What would be feeling bad? Well, we already know that. Anger, frustration, disgust, despair, uh, fear, grief, sadness. These are the beings. So we've only got about 10 of them. And they're all wrapped up tightly together. Anger, for instance, is greatly associated with fear. But anxiety is also associated with fear. That in fact, loss, when we lose something, somebody dies or we, the laptop breaks or whatever, the feeling of sadness is also tinged with fear. What am I going to do without it? Right? And so coming out of that state of fear about the loss of things into the state of, hey, I could lose it all and I'll still be okay. Everything's going to be all right, even if this uh, the internet fails, we'll still be okay. Even if the power goes out, I'll still be all right. Even if this laptop uh, has a puff of smoke and dies immediately, never to be launched or uh, brought up again. Never mind. That's the laptop that died. I didn't die. I'm still okay. So this is how we begin to look at it. Everything is all right. Everything is fine. So we're practicing to wake up and to take a look and to recognize everything is all right. Or if we see dukkha, then we take the right effort to throw it out. To throw out unwholesome thoughts. And then to take a deep breath. And with that, we begin to develop the right attitude. One's right attitude is developed through right effort. When we take the right effort and we get the right results, we begin to feel satisfied uh, and successful. So we gain confidence. And so with that, confidence grows to the point that we get the confidence to the point that I can feel good anytime I want to. It doesn't matter what is happening that obstructs my mind. I can throw that stuff out and come back to this present moment with a mind of joy. This is the way that we want to develop right attitude. The right attitude is, I can do this. The right attitude of, I can have only wholesome thoughts. I can have one wholesome thought after another. This is how we practice. This is how we get it. And by doing that, you'll get great insight into what thoughts are wholesome and what thoughts are not. An example of that would be for many beginners, they thought that what I will call junk thoughts. Just random thoughts about here, there, the other thing, this and that. And they don't understand that those are junk thoughts that are not really wholesome. They may have some this in it, but there's also the that in it. There's not only some here, but there is also some there. And so we begin to recognize that junk thoughts also are tinged with unwholesomeness. And so that we can begin to throw those thoughts out, too, so that we only have thoughts that are wholesome. But that takes some investigation. And the investigation is to uncover the danger in those thoughts. Once we see the danger, now we can just throw them out, get get rid of them. We can see the danger in it. We don't have to work hard at renunciation in the sense of letting it go this way because we're still clinging to it and I'm trying to rip that grasp off 
like that. This is how most people actually practice meditation. The right way to practice meditation is, aha, I see that. <laughs> I see it. And, and so it's immediate. It, you just, aha, I see that unwholesome thought. And so then the ungrasping is easy to do. This is one's right effort. This is wrong effort. That's wrong effort. Mm -hmm. But this is right effort. And that is, aha, I can see that. Once we see that, that grasping to this thing is dangerous, we want to let it go. We want to get rid of it. Okay, so this is how you can practice, is what is wholesome, what is not wholesome. Because uh, things that are not wholesome are dangerous. And it's your job is to figure that out. And pretty soon you'll begin to figure out that even junk thoughts are not wholesome. That we should, in fact, choose what we're going to think, rather than just let whatever comes up, come up. And begin to direct the mind, to focus the mind. And pretty soon we can get the mind in a state that it's just one wholesome thought after another. Isn't that nice? Everything is okay. No place to go. Nothing to do. Just one wholesome thought after another, after another. Yeah. And even that's not boring. When we have thoughts of, oh, wholesome thoughts are boring. No, they're not. No reason to get bored. We can just stay here, nice little place, easy going, nothing to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, does that give you an idea about how to practice? Yeah, definitely. But, um, do, would you say that um, practicing means more like during the day or just? Blocking time specifically for that, or all right. Let me answer that question. A lot of Western meditators have the idea that they should practice one hour a day. But in fact, Goenka would recommend that. I've heard him actually recommend to do one hour a day of his Anapanasati or his uh, uh, Vipassana meditation. Generally, the human brain doesn't have that kind of uh, attention span. And so when students sit for a long period of time, bodily aches and pains will come up, the body gets tired, the breathing shuts down, the mind gets dull. And so sitting for long periods of time actually puts us in bad habits. That it's much better to practice several times a day. So let us say even if it were true that somebody could practice for an hour, that means that for 23 hours a day, they're back into hindrances again. Plus all of those years of hindrances, and I wonder who's going to win this little competition. How are we ever going to be able to cultivate and have wholesome thoughts if we're not practicing it often? For this reason, I would recommend students practice four to six times a day for shorter periods of time, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, to, uh, six times a day, much more valuable than one hour, one time. Mm -hmm. And what happens with if you do it four to six times a day, that means in between it, you begin to remember to wake up and to take a deep breath and to have a wholesome thought. 
Okay. And that's what we're looking for, is to begin to interrupt the day with wholesome thoughts. To interrupt the day with a happy, relaxed moment. And so taking 10 minutes to get ourselves into a very happy, relaxed state for six times a day means that you're going to be the next time that you do 10 minutes, you'll be easier to do it because you just did it a few hours ago. But not only that, but you'll remember in between time to do it a little bit. And so over time, you've developed the habit of waking up, looking at what's in the mind, choosing to throw out unwholesome, and to put in wholesome thoughts. Until you get it to the point that you have one wholesome thought after another after another. And along that time, you begin to change the way you feel. But in fact, our thoughts do condition the feelings, and our feelings do condition the thoughts. And you can begin to see that. You can actually intentionally talk yourself into feeling good. Try it. That's wholesome. A wholesome thing to do is to intentionally talk yourself into feeling good. Wow, this is so nice. Wow, what a marvelous moment this is. Oh, what a good breath. Wow, how relaxed. Just relax, relax. So you can actually do that. Think of it in that sense, is that your job is going to talk yourself into feeling really good. Safe, secure, as opposed to afraid. Content, as opposed to want something. Satisfied as opposed to being dissatisfied in a state of deprivation or dukkha. You talked yourself into feeling bad, now it's time to talk yourself literally into feeling good. But we can't talk ourselves into feeling good by thinking of things that are not here. So, thinking about somebody like a beautiful girl, wow, if I think about that beautiful girl, I'll feel really good, right? No, you won't. If you think about that girl, you'll start wanting her. And wanting is a, is a state of dissatisfaction. We want to get into a state where we don't want anything. Mm-hmm. And so we always think about what's right here, right now, rather than something that's out there or back then. Okay. So that you're always in the state of everything is okay. I don't want anything. Everything is all right, right now. Mm -hmm. You can see how wholesome those thoughts are. Not very many of them, just a few. Everything's okay. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. Not a worry in the world. Don't worry. Be happy. So this is the practice of the Buddha. Coming out of dukkha into dukkha naroda means to come out of unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts. And we do that immediately. As soon as we remember, we can say, hey, I don't have to think about that. Aha, I see you, Myra. And then we throw that out and then we put it to wholesome thoughts. Thoughts of right now, thoughts of nurturing. Okay? So you go practice that for a while and call me again and we'll go a little bit deeper into it. But I think you're getting a pretty good handle on what is wholesome and what is not wholesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much.
Okay. Well, we see you later. See you later. Okay. Alrighty. Bye bye. Bye bye.